Hello, 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 everyone. We are back again for Goodbye Bullshit, Hello Happiness, Conscious Parenting Edition. Uh, today, it's only the two of us. The rest of the gang had other activities. One is recovering from surgery. Uh, one had moving day. And one had a big project that she was working on. So it's just Hillary and I today for you guys. And the topic I wanted to cover today, and probably it's going to go through multiple um, episodes, is uh, trauma parenting. And by trauma parenting, what I mean is um, most of us, um, we've had some sort of trauma during our childhood and sometimes even our adulthood. And when we have those kind of traumas, especially if it was trauma related to mom and dad, um, you know, pretty much didn't feel like you had good role models or um, just didn't get the love, attention, whatever it was that you needed. Um, so when you grow up with that trauma and you have kids of your own, so you're pretty much trauma parenting, meaning you are, as you're dealing and healing and releasing your trauma, if you're consciously working on it, you are parenting a kid that, first of all, has received some of that trauma that's been passed down from you because it came generations before. So he, she might have some of that in her or him and also they might be going through their own trauma so the parenting techniques um, become really much harder and um, much more intense because you really feel like you're being triggered in so many different ways and at the same time that you're trying to be loving kind patient and provide the best guidance and support that you can uh, for your child. So trauma parenting. Thoughts, Hillary? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's a light topic. <laughs> I know. That's why I think we're going to go multiple uh, uh, episodes for this one. I don't think we're going to be able to cover all of it today, but... Um, one thing I was thinking, um, just I know I would explain how my trauma parenting was. Um, again, everybody, back to if you are doing you and you love your kid, you're doing your best. Don't take any of this stuff or anybody telling you what to do as a sign that you're a bad parent or you're doing something wrong. You do you and love your kid and you're doing a great job already right there. Um, because again, when it comes to trauma parenting, nobody can guide you. It's not going to be in any books. I know for myself, um, you know, everybody knows my story. I've put it out there several times, but I've had trauma as a kid growing up. Um, and also through my adulthood. And then I was in the process of releasing my stuff. And then here comes Ilya and um, as I'm trying to parent him and release my stuff, he is going through, well, passed down to him, 
trauma of the divorce and his parents not getting along at all. Um, and trauma in school of being bullied with kids, bullied with um, staff, and a lot of other things. So it's just trauma overload. And there are times that you just have to throw in the towel and it's just like, um, you know, I don't know what to do and I'm doing my best. And there were a lot of times that I would just sit and cry because I was like, I have no idea how to get him out of this or how to help him, how to support him. But what I have seen, or it's not a but, and what I have seen is that the more I have cleared my things, I see the difference in him. He, like with me changing, he has changed so much. And it's funny, if they, like I said, if there's a little bit in there, he brings it out somehow for me to clear it up and it gets, you know, both of us shift to a better place. Um, so, yeah. And we go back to the, the wine really helped during those traumatic parenting days. <laughs> yes. No, because imagine like, I know when I first had Ilya, I got to tell you this story. Ilya cried 95% of the time. Oh, gosh. He was not colicky and anything they would tell me to do like, oh, put him this way, do this, take him to like, oh, you got to put him in the car and take him. This kid as a baby would arch his back. So I couldn't like when he was crying, so I couldn't put him in the uh, car seat. Like there were times I literally have to elbow him to get him to like get in the car seat and for me to lock him up in there. And he would just cry, cry, cry. And there were times I would put him on, on top of the bed and he would cry and I would sit next to the bed and cry because nothing would soothe him. Absolutely nothing. And everybody's looking at me like there's something wrong with me. And I had the nice idea of traveling with this kid. Oh my God. After two times, I said one time was with a car with friends and we got there. I stayed, I think for like maybe half a day or maybe the night. And in the morning I said, I'm out of here. I can't do this. Oh. And then um, the whole plane ride the second time was, yeah, very lovely. So there's my story. <laughs> One of the traumatic experiences that that was enough to give me PTSD as a as a mom. <laughs> I swear, up until like four years ago, if I heard kids crying, I would just like you don't know what my body would have a such a bad reaction to kids crying. Like I, it just like oh my god, just shoot me now. I can't be here. Yeah. You're reminding me of a story when I, I forget how old Nicholas was. He, he was young enough to do the things you're talking about, but he was at daycare and I had driven to pick him up and he just wouldn't get in the car, wouldn't get in his car seat, the whole thing. And so I remember just putting him in the car and I got, I just put him in the car, like in the back seat and I just closed the doors. And then I sat on the curb in front of the daycare crying and the director came out and she's like, are, are you okay? And I'm like, I just don't think I'm cut out for parenting at all. <laughs> Probably too late, but <laughs> so, I get it. Yeah, I get it. 
I get it. And um, to be honest, one of the things, because again, you know, at that point, a um, lot of problems in my marriage and Ilya was just born. And like I said, he was crying all the time. And it, I'm serious. He would, this kid, like anything you do, like the only way he would stop, it would like, he would pass out. Okay. It was really bad. And then, and I remember telling my sister my, that now I see, like I, before, like when those parents that um, killed their babies. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, and I would be like, well, how can they do that? I told my sister, I have a new perspective for those parents that did this. Like, and I told her, I said, don't worry, I'm not, I know myself, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But now I can see it from their perspective because like, you know, and my depression, my postpartum was not really, it was very mild, but imagine if you have postpartum depression um, or maybe you're just a single parent, a lot of other things that goes in there and you have this kid that's just crying nonstop and you just don't know what to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the, my sister was like looking at me. Are you okay? Are you just... <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Do we need to worry about you? I'm like, you know, I, I got this, but yeah. um, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to kill myself. But I see the yeah. from their perspective now. Absolutely. And no one can prepare you for any of the feelings that come with parenthood and, um, I think one of the biggest things I wish I had realized early on, both as it pertains to this topic, trauma parenting, but just parenting in general, is that I cannot parent my child the way I would have parented myself, which is essentially what I was doing. What would I like? What would I need? What? It, but yeah. that's what felt familiar. I, and I didn't even try to parent the way my parents did because that was, there was a lot of, you know, the there's a lot of strife in the house and, and, and that I didn't want to carry over here. So I absolutely get it. No, that's perfect though. What you're saying is exactly, you know, where we get into those uh, trouble areas is that you're trying to be very different from your own parents because you're like, well, that didn't work. You know, that didn't have a good result. I know that I don't want to do that, that, that. And then, you're like, okay, let me see what did I want as a kid so I can do that for him or her. And then you're also trying to pick out like from outside, like, well, what are they doing that seems to be working or it seems to be good? And to be honest, I mean, I, that's one thing I think I did wrong was that I parented from the outside in, meaning like mm -hmm. I... Yep. Asked others. I went online. I read books. I asked this. How did you do it? What do you think? What do you think? And I wouldn't even sit and think like, okay, what makes sense for me and this kid? This obviously, this is not working. What is you know? What do I need to do for him? And that was, I think, one of something like if I were to do it over again, I would throw all the books out. Yeah. And I would throw all the rule book about any kind of idea I had about parenting. And I say, okay, let's start from zero. I love you. And I'm doing my best. 
now where do we go from here? Let's take it at those beginning moments, even one moment at a time, because it, it wouldn't even be a one day at a time type of the thing. Yep. Well, and also what you're talking about too, as it relates to trauma parenting. So one of my survival skills, you know, during that time, and I carried it through and made it, um, you know, part of how I, I live and experience is um, seeking external validation so that I wouldn't make a mistake and then there wouldn't be the strife that follows. So I'm constantly living from that outside in to get, is that right? Is that right? And we're almost trained as parents to do that mm -hmm. as well. Carry that from trauma parenting. So that's, you know, one of the things you're carrying with you, then right. train to read all the books and go to the parenting classes and read the blogs and all that. It's just constantly reinforced. I think we as women and we as a, as a culture, even here in the United States are really trained for the outside in. And we need to shift that whole dynamic, just like you said, um, and understand what is needed for ourselves first and, and then our kids. Like learn to listen to yourself. Beautiful. And learn to listen you know, to your kid, so. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was perfect because the, you know, it reminded me, I did shift some things, luckily, like I said, I had started healing at some level. So I think it was starting to kick in. Like after the first, I think it was three months, uh, I said, okay, forget it. None of what these people are telling me it's working. Mm -hmm. Let me see what this kid needs. And he really, and to this day, well, the sound has gotten better. But he needed a very dark place and either a quiet place or mm. like that white noise to fall asleep and sleep soundly. Yep. Other than that, it would not work. He hated the car seat. I'm telling you, he was a baby, like two, three months old. And I had to like every time I had to like force him. The stroller, for whatever reason, the stroller, he wouldn't mind. Mm. hated the car seat yeah and the car seat i figured out because he he was pointing he was pointing the back and looking at the back seat as soon as that car seat you know after a certain month you switch down so that they can look forward he was the happiest kid in the car mm -hmm. yeah so those are the things like nobody tells you about i didn't know if I had known, like, okay, but had I, going back to your point, too, had I been parenting from inside out, I would have been more in tune with him. Okay, this is not working. Let's stop doing something that's not working. Let's play with this. I know what the law says, but what works with this kid? Yeah. He's miserable in the car. I'm miserable everywhere we go. So what can we do? Yeah. Well, 100%. And, and that that trust factor as you're talking, um, you know, trusting, like, I think sometimes we get those little messages, and they come in ways of just oh, that feels a little bit off, or that doesn't feel right. But you brush that off, because again, you're getting the external messages. And if we learn to trust those and listen to them and have them amplify and then really follow them and then get that reinforced. And I think that that's something though, also when you have a traumatic upbringing or even just experiences that you become hypervigilant and you don't trust the stimuli that you're receiving around you because it's always amped up. Mm -hmm. so learning to take things down and trust the, the kind of that internal compass. So how did you 
in your parenting career, how did you gain that trust, start to gain that trust in yourself and started to listen to yourself more and more? What were those times? What was the clicks or things that helped you get into that space? That's such a great question. Part of it is, I mean, is more recent, um, working with you, quite honestly, um, just to release and clear some blocks that I've had from growing up. I think another part of it, just throughout the parenting career path, as you talk about, um, was developing a connection to my son that I just kind of was able to listen and feel and kind of get him that way. And then I, I trusted that feeling and I trust that feeling because it felt very natural. It felt free. It felt kind of just floaty and present. Um, and I could tell when it was gone and I could tell when it came back. Um, tactically how that showed up is I asked a lot of questions and I, it's hard to be present. I think we talked about this in one episode. It's mm -hmm. really hard to be present in, in a moment, but I kept trying to be as present as possible to really understand. And I thought this is my most important job, not to be cliche, but I, I really need to like, you know, type A this one in a way that's just focused. So I think that's some of it. How about you? Um, I, I think some of the same things that you said, because like I said, it was the connection I made to him, like, okay, this is not working and let me see what he needs. Mm. And then, which was like, okay, he needs to sleep this way. And then I noticed for myself, again, going with that, trusting yourself and, you know, connecting with him, I would sit and notice, like, what are the times that he's getting like this agitation and crying? What's happening to him? And I notice when he's getting like, when there are too many people that come around him and it gets, it gets overstimulated or there's too much noise around him. And um, part of the other thing was that I saw him wanting to move mm. and communicate and he felt like it felt like his brain is much faster and older than his body. He's like, and it felt like I want to move. I want to go do these things and I want to see these things and I want to say, talk, communicate, and I can't. And I'm stuck in this body that you just keep turning me this way and turning me that way. And then, so I started getting those cues from him. Like, okay, he needs more. Well, he's tired now. He wants me to pick him up. And I would notice like which part of the house he would get quiet that he liked. And we, I have, I still have the butterfly bush. The butterfly bush with the butterflies always, always calmed him down. That was his favorite spot. Like I knew if I get him there, he likes it. He's happy. Like I said, stroller loved it. The other one, car seat, hated it. Did not want it at all. Or even talking, I started like teaching, like as I would talk to him, I would use my hands and it wasn't like a sign language, it was my own made up sign language. So he could communicate with me. So he was really young when he could just like little things to tell me. And then, um, and that got him to be able to talk. Well, I say talk, but apparently I was the only one that I could could understand what he's saying. Like he would say stuff. I'm like, and people are like, what did he say? I'm like, 
what you didn't understand that this is what he said and they're all looking at me like no we didn't understand any of it that's something between you two but that was it it going back to your point it was that i started trusting myself and trusted getting like those feelings that he's giving me and seeing him and those cues knowing okay no let me and not being afraid to try different things like okay this i'm not gonna break him you know let's try this anything is better than this kid crying all the time so let's just try different things that you know it feels right and anything anytime i went with that like what you were saying with those feelings that he was giving me it worked and anytime i use somebody's suggestion it was a disaster Yes. Yeah. I th- and I think too, there are sometimes suggestions um, feel like, oh, yeah, I think I like that does feel right. Like I could try that. Um, but then I would try it. And then it just, you know, the thing. so um, how about school when he started school? Because I know yours is uh, a little bit older than mine. Did you have any problems when he got into school? Because I know one of my biggest challenges was not to get sucked in into that whole, um, because I don't know where you're at. Like, I know Ilya's elementary school, there were super moms there and oh, yeah, super not- kids. <laughs> well, I mean, but you there was an environment, super moms, yeah. super kids. Yep. And um, especially, I don't know if it's the area we live in or any place you go like these kids i mean like at such a young age like I, in elementary school like first grade or kindergarten sometimes they would put them in kumon and all these different things and i'm like i yeah so how was that i i constantly had to remind myself um not to get sucked in and step back well, I, that is another, so same. Um, I, we're, we're in, um, I guess a neighboring community or whatever that um, is pretty stereotypical in terms of soccer moms and, you know, hockey and basketball, all those things. And we, we tried all that with Nicholas, but um, I've never been a mainstream person myself. So, um, you know, I, in kindergarten, I'm the mom who's, rushing him down the side hallway because we're late because I thought, well, let's just stop at Starbucks on the way or, or whatever that is, just because he was talking to me and, you know, I'm having this like sneak him into kindergarten. So because we're late for that kind of thing, or I'm the mom with the tattoos and, you know, I'm not wearing anyway, I get it. Yeah. I get it yeah. is my point. Um, but the one thing that I have always encouraged and, and, and made sure we fostered was his creativity. So at a young age, he was, wearing costumes to school or he would paint his nails or, and we just continued to encourage that. And it got to the point where we had to move schools because it wasn't working at that school in fifth grade. So we switched schools and, um, you know, he kind of found his tribe. And uh, that's one of the things I found really hard for Ilya as well. And I think a lot of parents have a hard time, especially again, when you're talking about, you know, if you have your own traumas and, you know, you're dealing with a kid that has trauma or even if the kid doesn't have that much, but all the stuff that is being passed down in the environment, whatever, um, 
it gets harder in school for them yeah. and um, getting them into an environment that they feel safe and wanted and um, accepted, I think becomes very hard. Um, I don't have experience in private schools, but I can tell you from the public schools around us, that was one of my hardest parenting challenges when he went into school and just the stress of that, that, you know, again, it goes back to, I wanted all those things that happened to me not happen to him. Yeah. And here he was, you know, similar stuff, sometimes even worse was happening to him. And I couldn't do anything to prevent it. And it was just from every direction. It just seemed like um, we were getting it. And it was very, I think that was one of the biggest challenges for me to um, sort of stand my ground in front of like teachers and principals and um, tell them no. This is how this kid operates and you're not going to put him in a box and you're not going to treat him that way. Good, good for you. Because for the first part, sometimes in the school environment, we'd be like, oh my gosh, Nicholas, what did Nicholas do? Like not in front of him, but you know, kind yeah. of like our, it's, he's doing something wrong. He, he just was atypical in that environment. And then we found this other school um, where he was much more common and a lot of people work like that. And I think as you're talking to one of the interesting things that's coming to me is um, so the school, and I think I mentioned this in a prior um, podcast, but the school, we, we all went through a school shooting and what came out of that is an incredible attention to individuality and mental health and support. And so um, what I hear about happening at typical schools or, you know, that haven't gone through something like that, um, we're not experiencing because of that. You know, it is, it's, it's very nurturing and loving. There's still the stuff that goes on, but it, it's just a different environment, which thank goodness. It's, that's great. That's great. And I think um, after COVID, I see things changing mm -hmm. in schools as well, where they're now trauma is becoming a normal thing. Yeah. So they realize like, okay, every kid is going through something because what happened, I think um, Ilya's high school um, that he's in, not, he just went into high school, but the year before, actually it was during the summer, it wasn't even the year before, during summer, um, a kid committed suicide. And I think one of the other local um, schools, there was another suicide and all the things with COVID that had happened. And I think um, this year they're spending a lot of time. And like when we went to uh, back to school night, there was a lot more emphasis on, we want the kids to not feel stressed. We want them to feel this is an environment that they can talk about their emotions. They can feel safe and um that they can learn in the best way that they can. So I think things are shifting all around. Thank God for that. That's awesome. I think the messier that we can get with our feelings and, and just expressions and be okay with 
the the feedback or response and then kind of have everybody approach that more open-mindedly like we all have those those coping mechanisms that we developed from our childhood traumatic or not mm-hmm. uh, and those affect all of our perception and and how we react we react to things how we parent um and stepping out of that's hard because if you don't realize that it's a groove and you don't realize it, it's actually perhaps not the most positive in this, like, it seems fine because you've always done it, but if there's another way to do it, um, you know, it's hard to step out of that. So what I've been trying to do is ask Nicholas too, to call me out, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of something. And, you know, he's, he's gotten better about that. Like even with word choice, um, he said, mom, you know, you sent that text to dad and you wrote impact. And that just has a negative connotation to me. And I'm like, Oh, really? I think of impact as a neutral world word. So tell me what, what's a word that, means something more positive. So having those kind of conversations even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's perfect. Actually, that's perfect because uh, I had a similar experience with Ilya that I told him to call me out. And I think that's great as a parent. If you can do that, tell your kids, you're not perfect. You're going to screw up. And for me, one of my biggest triggers that I had to go over, get over was, um, I had so I grew up as a kid as I don't even know probably two years old or maybe even younger with a lot of fear and anxiety and that fear and anxiety grew more and more in me with everything that was happening in my moves and everything and just then life in general so I hadn't it was hard for me to recognize that um, even after I had cleared so much that some of my reactions, especially with him, was fear-based. Mm-hmm. That I, all my fears and worries I, if, then would come to like, I got to go protect him and I got to make sure and I got to fix it and I got to, I got to, I got to. Because again, it was my own fears and anxieties and it took you know, for me to recognize every time I was doing something like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm afraid. Let me step back and see what I can do so I don't approach it that way. And like you said, having Ilya tell me, call me out all the time. Mom, you're fixing it again. Did I ask you to fix it? No. Okay, I'm stepping back. You're right. Or even uh, it was funny because sometimes I even wanted to make him feel better. Mm -hmm. And he would be like, why are you trying to make me feel better? I'm like, because I want you to be happy. I want you to feel good. It's like, I just want to feel bad right now. Can you let me feel bad? Uh-huh. And that took a, a lot for me. And because, again, when he would feel bad, there was this anxiety and anxiousness that would come in me that I would get triggered that I would want to make him feel like, okay, I got to do something. I got to do something. And the more he talked to me that way, the more I let him say, like, you're right. You know, you absolutely have the right to feel however you want to feel and own it. You're owning it. So here you go. I'm stepping back again. Well, I love that, too, because even his response speaks to your parenting um, and just the space that you've given him to, to say those things. Um, and even when you're talking about parenting from from a fearful place, because I relate to your experience, I wonder if, because we had that more chaotic upbringing where fear and anxiety were very present, we learned to solution. We learned to get ourselves out of it. 
so we don't have to do that for him kind of is, is what yes. I hear you saying for, yes. for them, like let them learn how to do it. They don't actually need that as a coping skill. We had it yeah. as a coping skill. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been hard. I'm telling you, I've done so much of that with Ilya. And now we're kind of, as I've stopped my triggers, um, now it's like clearing it out for him that he's, you know, it's sort of giving him that space because that fear and anxiety, to be honest, in different ways, um, part of his fear and anxieties, I think, is the fear and anxiety that I had over him that he's picked up on. And now that I don't have those things, he is more getting more and more into himself and, you know, doing much, much better with his own anxieties about his anxieties are now like the social anxieties of being a teenager, of course, which we all had it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That's Thank cool. you. Any closing <laughs> remarks? Um, well, I just want to share with the audience if they've been paying attention that Penny is in the house, she's visiting. So we may actually get the Penny glasses going here. So that's the only thing in my closing remark. <laughs> yes. Say hi to Penny. She's Will been do. part of our show. So <laughs> give her a hug from me. Will do. Thank you guys for joining us. See you next month. Bye.